In just a few minutes, we'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 23. Some of you know that when I'm preparing a sermon, I read over uh, that, that text several times. Um, and I read it in other translations of the Bible. So, you know, like the NIV, ESV, NASB, all these different translations. Um, and I try to make note of what's different and that sort of thing. Um, for this message, there was uh, a spot that was not any different. I was familiar enough um, with, the, with the text that I had already picked the sermon title out. And uh, it was going to be, the sermon title was going to be Battle Ready. But the more I read, the more I felt I needed to change the title because tucked away there in verse 20 is this phrase, Our God Will Fight For Us. And interestingly enough, every translation has that phrase almost identical. And so I thought, you know, that makes for a a great sermon title. And so here we are, Our God Will Fight For Us. Now you probably know way more than you ever wanted to know when it comes up, uh, when it comes to how I come up with sermon titles, but that's how I do it. Um, It is perhaps one of the most epic battles of all time in book or screenplay. Fantasy, yes, but nonetheless, the battle at Helm's Deep and Gandalf's Charge is indeed epic. The forces of Saruman, the common orcs, and the Orakai along with some orc-human hybrids called half-orcs and goblin men, which may have referred to or included the orakai themselves, and human dunlindings, arrive at the valley of Helm's Deep in the middle of the night during a storm. The scene is dreadful. There's thousands of bloodthirsty orcs that are ready to take Helm's Deep. It is as as if there is no hope in sight. The battle rages through the night, where finally Saruman's forces gain entry into the fortress of Helm's Deep. It is as if all hope is lost. Theoden King cries, It is over. Theoden says, So much death. What can one man do against so much hate? And in this moment, Aragorn says to Theoden, Ride out with me. Ride out and meet them. Theoden responds, For death and glory. Aragorn says, For Rohan, for your people. Gimli the dwarf at this point interjects, The sun is rising. And Aragorn looks to the window and sees the sun coming through and remembers the words of Gandalf, who said, Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn. Look to the east. King Theoden says, Yes, the horn of helm hammer hand shall sound in the deep one last time. To which Gimli, who seems to have waited his whole life for this moment, cries, Yes! And Theoden places his hand on Aragorn's shoulders and says, Let this be the moment when we draw swords together. Gimli climbs to sound the horn, and Theoden cries, Fail deeds awake. Now for wrath, now for ruin, 
and the red dawn. Gimli sounds a horn, and at that moment, Saruman's forces break through, and Aragorn and Theoden ride into battle against the forces of Saruman into what is to be their certain death. It is a scene of so few men against thousands of forces. In a moment, Aragorn turns and sees on top of the hill to the east, which, by the way, is no mistake if you know the writings. He sees to the east Gandalf on his horse Shadowfax as the sun is coming over the mountain. It radiates Gandalf, and Gandalf says, Theoden, king, stands alone, to which response comes from the Urkenbrand, Rohim, and they draw their swords, and thousands of riders fall in. He then cries, To the king, and they ride into battle with Gandalf in the lead. It is a remarkable scene. All of Saruman's forces turned to wage war against the riders of Rohirrim. And then, just before the attack, the light comes over the hill, blinding Saruman's forces, and the battle rages on. you have to go watch the movie to see the rest of it. Here's what I know. As a follower of Christ... Our resolve will be tested. Many times over as we seek to serve the Lord, in this passage from Nehemiah, we will notice that progress is not made without being ready to battle. Will you please stand with me out of respect for the word of God as we read Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 23. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning, Nehemiah four thirteen through 23. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, And your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, and they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who follow me None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right 
hand. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives as your servants listen. May it be applied to us. Oh Lord, may we be ready for battle and understand what it means that you will fight our battle for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready for battle? Do you really understand that along with building of God's kingdom, there is a battle? God's kingdom is not going to build itself. God will use us to build it, and in so doing, there will be a battle. Please also understand that the battle for God's kingdom is not always one that takes place outside the walls of the church, but there are times that the battle takes place inside the walls of the church. This morning, I want to talk to you about not only building God's kingdom, but, but the battle that will rage in the midst of us building God's kingdom and how it is that we can understand that our God will fight for us. So first, let us see this morning, reorganizing the workers, reorganizing the workers. So the very first thing we see here is this reorganization of the workers. We remember from last week uh, that the workers, they were discouraged. They were distracted from completing the work. They felt like there was no way that they were going to be able to complete the work that was before them. They were not going to be able to finish what they had started. Something had to be done. And so what does Nehemiah do? Well, he reorganizes the workers. First, he gets them ready for battle. And we see this in in readying the workers for battle. Readying the workers for battle as we look at verse 13. We, we see the wisdom of Nehemiah coming through. Much of the wall had already been rebuilt, but there were still some places that were susceptible to intrusion. Nehemiah knows that the work is at a critical point, and so he positions people with their weapons at these openings. They were prepared to fight. They were ready to fight whenever the enemy invaded. Now, Nehemiah is not out there looking for a fight. He's not wanting to do battle. He wants to build. However, if the enemy was going to come looking for a fight, Nehemiah was ready to oblige him. Nehemiah knew the vulnerable spots. And we need to know our vulnerable spots as well and where the enemy will attack us. And we need to take precautions to stop him from succeeding. We need to be honest with ourselves and guard the areas in our life that are susceptible to attack. We are in the midst of a conflict, church, and we must be ready for battle. We have to be on guard and not allow discouragement to stop us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. It does not matter how much building we do. There will be breaches. Satan loves to find breaches and intrude upon them. And we have to guard over these weaknesses in our life to ward off the enemy. 
Let me give you three quick things to guard against as a believer. Three quick things. One, guard against corruption. Guard against corruption. All corruption corruption starts out in our heart. And Satan will seek to, to defile us through his wicked schemes. We must guard our hearts 24-7 and realize that we are in a constant battle. Guard against corruption. We seek to guard against corruption. And secondly, we guard against compromise. The world will continually bombard us to compromise our theological position. They will make promises of material gain, of popularity, or whatever it might be. However, if we compromise our position and use our gifts for our own selfish lust, then we're in opposition to God. We guard against corruption. We guard against compromise. And finally, guard against complacency. Let me be honest with you and say that it's very easy for a Christian to become complacent with the things of God. Right? We lose our zeal. We think that that things will get done by someone else. We fail to see how vital our role truly is in the work of God and in our local church. And so what happens is we just grow complacent as Christians. And what I mean by this is that as Christians, we become content to just come to church and not do much else other than just be here. Complacent. Just, oh, I'll just go to church. That kind of complacency will not advance God's kingdom. It will not do it. And church, I beg of you not to allow complacency to creep into your life and diminish your zeal for the Lord to just be like, oh, that's just what I do. I'm just going to go to church. Do not allow your zeal to be dis- diminished. He readied the workers for battle. And then he reminds the workers that God was in control. Reminds, reminding the workers that God is in control. There are times in our lives we need to be reminded that God is in control, right? I mean, this is a truth that we seem to to grasp theologically. In fact, we will often let others know that God is in control. We'll tell them, God's in control. But once we're in the midst of trouble, practically, we seem to forget that God is in control. So we'll say, well, God's in control. And then something bad happens, right? And suddenly, God could not have been in control or that bad thing would not have happened. We are so guilty of doing that. God's in control, brother. God's in control, sister. But then something happens to us. Well, God couldn't have been in control then. Somehow God lost control between the time of that and the time that what happens in our life. Nehemiah says, do not be afraid. We don't have to fall prey to crippling fear because we have the God of heaven on our side. If God is for us, then who can possibly stand against us, the scripture tells us. The call from Nehemiah and even the call to us today is not to run in fear, but the call is instead to be brave. In the face of opposition, we have no need to fear. Why is it that we have no need to fear? Because we have God. 
But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Why do we have no need to fear God? Because the God of heaven, if you are his child, cries, you are mine. There's no need to fear. You see, Christian, the flesh wants us to worry. The flesh wants you and I to be a worry wart. When difficult times approach, we get all worked up emotionally. But when we turn to God, we can have peace. Do not be anxious for about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Not only does Nehemiah tell them, don't be afraid, but he shifts their focus. He says, don't be afraid, remember the Lord. Sometimes we're in the midst of battle. We have our tendency to take uh, our eyes off the Lord. We need to be reminded that God is faithful. Don't you forget who God is or what he has done for you. Don't you forget who you belong to, Christian. That God redeemed you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that you are his, bought with a price. And unless your focus is on the Lord, you will never be able to battle for God effectively. Do not be so preoccupied with your circumstances that you lose the focus of the Lord. God is faithful. Remember that our God is great and awesome. Our focus has to be on God and on his awesome power and on his presence with us. You do not go into battle alone, but in the power of the Lord and with his presence with you. Finally, let's see that Nehemiah is rallying the workers to the cause. He's rallying the workers to the cause. Nehemiah tells them to fight. Now, I love this because who are they fighting for? It almost sounds like it's a like it's a, a, a battle speech, right? And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. They're fighting for one another. You don't quit or drop out. You don't give in or give up. You fight and not for yourselves, but for one another. Oh, church, that we would stand in the gap for one another. Paul commands Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Paul himself had fought through trials and problems in life. And what did he say? Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Alan Redpath writes this. Yes, there is a place for battling. But I do not want to emphasize that the battling of the Christian must never replace the building, but I do want to emphasize the battling of the Christian must never replace the building. The negative must never replace the positive. The wall has got to go up. The final answer of the Christian to the world is that the wall is being built. Our responsibility is not just to fight, but it's to fight the good fight. We live in a day and time of compromise where 
No one wants to rock the boat. No one wants to stir the water. Yet Jude tells us, I found it necessary to write appealing to you, contend for the faith that once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. That word contend that Jude uses, it means to strive against or struggle in opposition. It's a military term. Speaking of a strenuous, determined, intense struggle to conquer the enemy, we must fight for the faith. We're not fighting for the sake of fighting. You see, the building project was more than walls and gates, but it was brothers and sons and daughters and wives. They needed protection. They needed security. Oh, dear church, that we would go to battle for one another. Instead of sitting around talking about one another or how we don't like this or how we don't like that, that we would go to battle for one another, that we would fight for one another, not fighting for the sake of fighting, but that we would understand that ministry is not about a building, but ministry is about people. Jesus did not go and die for a building. He did not die so we can sit in a padded pew and have a projector and a nice computer and come into church and gather around and sing Kumbaya. That's not why Jesus died. He died for people. And everything that we do as a church should be to engage in warfare for the souls of people, that we would reach the lost, that we would disciple believers, that we would restore wayward children. And all of this is done and should be done to bring glory to God. That's why we're here. So we've seen the reorganization, the reorganizing of the workers. Now let's see a return to service. A return to service. As they work, they're encouraged. You see, they have a return to work, and the progress of building picks back up. Let me be clear this morning. The sovereignty of God is not an excuse for negligence on the part of any Christian. In other words, we can't just say, oh, well, God is sovereign, so what I do does not matter. We must not be derelict in our duty. So first, let's see the result of worship. Look at the first part of verse 15. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, There's a great truth right here that we must learn. You see, the Jews had gotten sidetracked in their focus. They were not focusing on God nor his work. And in verse uh, 4, Nehemiah challenged them to remember the Lord. And then he reminded them that God was great and awesome. And so now instead of fearing the enemy, what do they do? They put their faith in God. You see, when we have a right view of God, it puts all of our problems and all of our troubles and all of our difficulties into a proper perspective. When we have a wrong view of God, then all of the troubles, all of the problems, all of the difficulties suddenly become bigger than they really are. So when you're down and discouraged and you're struggling, the proper thing to do in those moments is to turn your focus on God and worship God. Why? Because God is the one who is able to help us. The battle belongs to the Lord. 
When discouragement comes our way, we must remember that the battle belongs to the Lord, that he is perfectly capable of handling the enemy, that we are battling under the marching orders of the captain of our salvation, and that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what do we do when the battle is raging and discouragement is setting in, and we sit and wonder, what am I going to do, Lord? We remember that our God has pardoned us and that he is a redeeming God. We remember that our God has a purpose for us and that he is a restoring God. We remember that our God has a priority and that he is a rebuilding God. We remember that our God is powerful and that he is a reigning God. We remember that our God provides for us and that he is a replenishing God. We remember that our God keeps his promises and that he is a reliable God. We remember that our God has a program and he is a returning God. The people turn their hearts to God. And God honored that by squashing the plans of the enemy. It says he frustrated their plans. He made their plans of no effect. Their plans were complete and utter failure. All their feeble little plans came to nothing. We are on the winning side. Never forget that. Keep building God's kingdom because no matter how dark the days seem to be, we are on the winning side. So we have the result of worship and then we have the return to work. Look at the last part of verse 15. We all return to the wall, each to his work. They returned to work. They picked up right where they left off. There was a task to be done, a duty to be obeyed. And nothing and no one was going to stop it. And when we say things like duty and honor and obedience and loyalty, they sometimes sound out of place when we're talking about these things amongst believers. However, we must understand that there's a real struggle in complying with the demands of Christian godliness and commitment. It takes work. That's why Paul tells Timothy to train himself in godliness. The idea of that word train is to put in some effort, sweat, and pain. It's a rigorous workout for the sake of producing a body that's in peak performance. Now, if you know anything about physical training, you know it must be done daily or your body will lose its shape quickly. You must put in the effort. The same is true in our spiritual life. We must work to maintain spiritual discipline. So I say to you, put in the work, believer. Not only do we see this return to work, but we see this readiness for war this readiness for for war in verse 16 God's people continue building the walls around Jerusalem half of them built while the other half protected they knew danger was lurking so they continue to build with weapon in hand they had a balance ready to fight while building if we're enamored with fighting And always wanting to win some sort of battle or argument, you will never build. However, if our focus is only on building and we are not willing to battle, we will fail. Yes, we need to be focused on building. But the enemy needs to know that we're ready for battle. Focus on building God's kingdom. And when the enemy attacks, be ready for battle. There are some ways that we can maintain this balance of of focusing and, and, and being ready for battle. First, we maintain that by remembering. Remember, our main goal is to build God's kingdom for God's glory. 
You and I should seek to live transformed lives for God to help build our families and strengthen the local church. We can't get so caught up in the battle that we forget why we're battling. So we remember, secondly, realize we must remain close to God through our personal walk with Him. If you're not walking with the Lord, you will never have a truly successful ministry. What we do should have eternal significance and not be patterned after the shallow, self-centered way of this present world. Thirdly, resolve. Resolve that you will do what is right even when no one else stands with you. Even if your prospects of winning on earth seem slim, resolve to do what is right. We're reminded of the words of Joshua. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you whom this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua twenty four fifteen. We must resolve that even if we are the only one who is standing for what is right, we will stand anyway and be ready battle with that said let's look at the last part here the resolve of the workers the resolve of the workers in verses 17 and 18 we see this resolve they go back to work they're prepared for battle the enemy's plans have been brought to nothing and the work is moving forward nehemiah was not taking any chances and so he points half to work and half to protect the city And the workers, and there are times that fighting is necessary. However, fighting for the Jews would not build a wall, nor will it necessarily advance God's kingdom. Once the enemy is stopped, they can then build the wall, and we can then advance God's kingdom. We must never lose our passion to see the lost saved. And we must always be willing to fight for what is right. If we're not willing to do so, we might as well not even call ourselves Christians. Both of these are necessary. It's so easy to get sidetracked and lose focus. But we must have resolve to build God's kingdom. And at all times, we are to be building God's kingdom. And when the enemy brings the fight to us, we battle. But then immediately, we get back to building God's kingdom. So we've seen the reorganization of the workers. We've seen the return to service. Now let's see remembering one another. Remembering one another, verses 19 and 20. Everyone's back to work. But there's this distance between them. The workers, as they took their positions, have have been spread out. They were to work in their assigned places, but if there was trouble, then a trumpet would sound and everyone would run to one another's aid. This is such a beautiful picture of how we are to operate in the church. We should be busy building God's kingdom, doing what God wants us to do, but always willing, be willing and ready to help one another out with their problems. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 talk about that. Verse 2, we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I wonder how often we fail to bear one another's burdens. The excuse I often hear is just too busy. Do you know that being busy is not an excuse 
to not help a brother or sister in Christ bear a burden? Nowhere do we read, bear one another's burdens unless you're too busy. Many times people have burdens that are simply too much for them to handle alone. And helping and encouraging someone bear the load goes a long way. Christian, let me also say that being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, is not about being a lone ranger. We are to gather together with like-minded believers in a local church. Every person in the work is important. Everyone has a vital role to play. When the church works together in harmony, great things are accomplished for God's glory. When we submit to Jesus and leave our egos at the door and we focus on what God has called us to do, the local church will see great days of blessing. So we've seen the reorganizing of the workers, a return to service, a remembering of one another, and finally, let's see the resisting the enemy. Resisting the enemy. We see this in verses 21 22. The workers labored day by day and they guarded by night. The Jewish historian Josephus said this of Nehemiah. He himself made the rounds of the city by night, never tiring either through work or lack of food and sleep, neither of which he took for pleasure but as necessity. The workers who lived outside the city were told to stay in the city rather than returning to their homes. They would not even take off their clothes except to wash. By sleeping in their clothes, they were always dressed and ready to respond at a moment's notice. Christian, we must realize that the enemy's attack is imminent. Their being prepared for battle was not because they lacked trust in God. They had faith in God. But they also knew they had a responsibility to do their part. They balanced their trust and the sovereignty of God with human responsibility. The people were determined. And without determination, we will never succeed at anything. We must have some drive to get things done. The people gave everything they had in their effort as they were willing to make personal sacrifices to accomplish their goals. We need dedication. Anything that you and I try to do for God will take personal sacrifice. And if you're not willing to make personal sacrifice, then you will limit how God uses you. So we've seen this reorganization of the workers, the return to service, remembering one another, resisting the enemy. I want to close with this this morning. One of the qualities of any good leader or any Christian, for that matter, is being able to stand firm in the midst of a storm. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20, when it says, Our God will fight for us. Now, as I said at the beginning, that language is pretty much the same in every translation. What I want us to understand is that is not a sign, or that is not to be taken as a sign, that there's nothing for us to do. It wasn't a sign that there's nothing for them to do. It's not saying to them or to us that they need not worry at all about the threat against them because God would take care of it without them ever having to lift a finger. That's not how the sovereignty of God works. We hear 
Sometimes people talk about the sovereignty of God, and sometimes they, they talk about that in, in this kind of mentality, that God is sovereign over all things, therefore I have to do nothing. That's not what Scripture teaches. Sometimes I, I find it funny that it seems like we have this misunderstanding of, of how God's sovereignty works. And it's on both sides. It's on, it's on the side that wants to deny that God is sovereign over all things. And it's on the side that, that says that God is sovereign over all things. We must understand that the promise of God's activity and His superintendence is never a signal for inactivity or passivity on our part. In God's providence, God works. And in God's providence... We work. This was no time for Nehemiah to sit back with the people and try to explain all the philosophical intricacies of just how God's sovereignty is somehow compatible with human freedom and responsibility. We don't find Nehemiah going, hey, um, I need to expound on you. When I, when I say that, that God will fight for us, we don't find Nehemiah going, now let me expound on that a little bit so that we clearly understand what it means that God will fight for us and how God is sovereign and how that doesn't go against this and this. And this. We don't find that. You know what the great thing about the sovereignty of God is throughout Scripture? Nowhere... And all of the Bible, do we find God's sovereignty expressed and then, and then an attempt to explain that sovereignty? It's nowhere in Scripture. You can read the Bible from cover to cover. You will never find a spot where it talks about the sovereignty of God and then the Bible turn around and try to explain to you what the sovereignty of God is. Why? Because it's just fact. To be received by faith. And taken to heart as a truth. And it gives such inestimable value and comfort. That it fills our soul with delight and reassurance. That's the sovereignty of God. That's what it means that God is in control of all things at all times. There's never a moment in the history of this world where God is not in control. And it doesn't matter what bad thing your life is, has been faced with. That doesn't mean that God was up in heaven go, oh, I'm out of control here. I just, I don't know what to do. Satan got an upper hand on me. Then that is not God. Now stop and think about it. God's working on our behalf. And we give our impassioned effort to the full, to, our, to do our duty. That's what we're told to do. According to Scripture, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Perhaps Nehemiah was thinking of Psalm 127, verse 1, where it says, Unless the Lord builds this house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Nehemiah knew that the venture on which the workers were on was the Lord's will. He knew it. He had to determine that the construction project was a good thing and that it lay at the heart of God's design for Jerusalem. He had prayed about it and seen the providence of God unfold in order to confirm it in his life. He had no doubt that God would see the Jews through these difficulties they face. God was a warrior who would come in the midst of the war and assure them of the victory. For Nehemiah, this was a matter of trust. Now here's my question for you, church. Are you going to trust God when things get difficult? In other words, are you willing to trust God in your obedience to God's will even when difficulty comes will you still trust him because that's what it means that God is sovereign that doesn't mean that God is just sovereign in the good that means that God is sovereign in the bad That doesn't just mean when you're blessed that God is sovereign. That means when you are faced with the worst possible thing that you can possibly think of on the face of this earth, that God is somehow sovereign in the midst of that pain and suffering, and somehow he's taking that pain and suffering, even though you may never understand it, this side of the kingdom of heaven, he is taking it and using it for your good, because God is sovereign and only gives good to his children. And we cannot wrap our mind around it or fathom it that God is working every single intricacy of this world for your good and His glory. That's our God. That's why Nehemiah can say, Our God will fight for us. The great missionary Hudson Taylor made the voyage to China on a sailing vessel. As it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard an urgent knock on his door. He opened it, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. We are drifting towards an island where the people are heathen, and I fear they are cannibals. What can I do, asked Taylor. I understand that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, I will. But you must set the sail. Protesting that this was ridiculous and that the sailors would think that he was crazy for doing so when there wasn't any wind at all. Captain didn't like the idea much, but Taylor insisted on the course of action. 
set the sail. Forty-five minutes later, the captain returned and found the missionary, Hudson Taylor, still on his knees praying. The captain said, you can stop praying. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. Church, if you leave here this morning only knowing one thing, leave knowing this. Faith will overcome the severest of obstacles that you face. It looks beyond the obstacle that is in your life and sees the sovereign hand of God who can accomplish great and mighty things for His glory. So often our problem is not that we need a new program or we need something to fix this or that or we need a new this and we need a new that. Our problem is simply this. We lack faith. We lack faith. We say, oh God, I believe you're sovereign. Just not over this. Did he promise or not to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail do you believe it or not look at the beginning of verse 21 again see what Nehemiah said and so we labored at the work You know, sometimes in the church, there's a lot of focus on what we don't have. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. Or if our church was bigger, or if we had some really cool children's ministry, or if our pastor was more hip, or whatever it might be, right? We focus on what we don't have. You see how our focus tends to be on the problem instead of on our God? Focus on what we do have. We have a great and mighty God who is sovereign over all. There is an old hymn written by Edith Cherry in 1895 called We Rest on Thee. It goes like this. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day thy grace to know. Yet from our hearts a song of triumph pealing. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. O church, that we would rest on Jesus. Not in our own strength to do anything, because that would only bring failure, but that we would rest on him knowing that we are feeble and weak and we can accomplish nothing, but in his strength, we will triumph. We need to reorganize our workers. We need to go in knowing that God is in control, that rallying one another to the cause of Christ, we need to return to service. If you're not 
working. It's time to get busy and have some resolve. Worshiping our God together, we must remember one another and build one another up, praying even uh, uh, for one another and prying even into one another's lives. We must resist the enemy. Dear saints, let's get busy and focus on how great our God is. Let's have faith that he will accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish through us. Oh, that we would focus on him. Let's pray.